From the studios of KPCW in Park City, this is The Mountain Life, Healthy Living in the Wasatch. I'm David Windsor, and this morning we speak with Dr. Greg Eckel, a naturopathic physician, Chinese medical practitioner, and founder of the Energy for Life Centers located in Park City. He talks about the regenerative medicine and some of the new technology associated with a several thousand year tradition of Chinese medicine. Then Amy Francis, founder and owner of Rocky Mountain Therapy Dogs, with, will share with the listeners how to, this robust nonprofit business trains dogs and shares them in schools, assisted living centers, and hospitals to bring comfort and joy and calm to all. Stay with us. We'll be right back after these messages. This is The Mountain Life here on KPCW Park City. Welcome back to The Mountain Life. I'm David Windsor. And I'm Lynn Ware Peak. Our next guest, Dr. Greg Eckel, is a naturopathic physician and Chinese medical practitioner and founder of the Energy for Life Centers, which is located in Prospector in Park City. Dr. Eckel's goal is to create new pathways to wellness utilizing cutting-edge therapeutics delivered through ancient lens. He joins us to tell us more. Dr. Eckel, welcome to The Mountain Life. Thanks for having me. So glad you're here. So let's just dive right into what is naturopathic and Chinese medicine practitioner? Yeah, so naturopathic medicine is like a natural path in the wilderness. However, we learn Western medicine and we layer natural therapies on top of that. Uh, so we've got a holistic view of health as treating people as heart-centered beings moving through time and space, not just the pieces and parts. So it's more of a, a systems approach utilizing natural therapeutics with the understanding that the body can heal itself given the right information. Now, is this like a lot of energy type work or is it, I mean, it, it, I understand it falls a little bit in the family of acupuncture maybe, but give us a little more context of what this means as far as the energy work of it. Yeah, so we also, I also have a degree, a master's of science in oriental medicine. So I'm a Chinese medicine practitioner in addition to a naturopathic physician. And then on top of that, I've layered bioenergetics. So here in Park City at Energy for Life Centers, we are a bioenergetic flagship. Well, what the heck does that mean? So it's utilizing the biochemistry, the physiology of the body and layering in the fields where we're actually bringing quantum understanding of reality, which has a higher degree of certainty than Newtonian physics. That kind of gets out there. I see folks are kind of glazing over with that, but it is using fields and the understanding of a biofield and applying that then to the particle or body form. So we take multiple lenses to get a complete picture of what's going on for the person in front of us. If you're just joining us on The Mountain Life, we're having a conversation with Dr. Greg Eckel. He's a naturopathic physician and Chinese medical practitioner. Dr. Greg, I wanted to ask you a little bit more about naturopathic medical school. It's my understanding that you mirror sort of traditional medical school up until a certain point and then it diverges. Is that true or does it from the get-go look different? You know, it is the same for the first two years. So the Department of Education in DC has recognized the naturopathic uh, medical education as a tiered one status, meaning you look at medical doctors, osteopathic physicians, and naturopathic physicians from accredited schools, and the curriculums meet the same criterion. Uh, and then, so we learn the Western medical approach, you know, all of the basic sciences, et cetera, 
are the same anatomy, physiology, biochemistry. Uh, but then we start to layer on top of pharmacology, we layer then natural therapeutics on top of that botanical medicine, homeopathics, physical medicine, um, lifestyle. There's more four years of nutrition as well. Um, so it is a very uh, complete and rigorous study. Yeah. And also, Dr. Greg, I'm asking a lot of these types of questions because I know for our listeners, we've all heard of this stuff and a lot of us are very attracted to it, yet we also want to establish credibility. And I know that you do that regularly in your practice. And so I'm going to keep asking you some of these. Oh, they're of great. They're great. Yeah. You have describe yourself also as an avid biohacker. And every time I see that word biohacker, in fact, every time I see the word hack, I go, what does that really mean? What does, you know, is biohacking a sort of shortcut to access these other systems or what is it really? You know, we like to pretend we can biohack or short circuit or get to health quicker. Um, so we'll just break that word down for a minute. So hacking is, you know, I think a colloquial term in uh, in the computer realm, which I will not dive in there. I, I deal with the body and the spirit, but the uh, of getting a quick code to get something done. And then bio is your biology. So, you know, do you want to be more fit? Do you want sharper thinking? Do you want to lose weight? Do you want more muscle mass or be stronger? You want to be able to ski better up here in the mountains. Um, so that's where the term biohacking of these little shortcuts to get to health. Now, I will, I will let you in a secret. There's nothing sexy about the foundations of health. We know what they are. And, uh, you know, it is exercise, it's good sleep, it's eating well, it's the quality of uh, the love around you. So these things, you can't really biohack those things. I mean, sure, I, I quantify my sleep. I've got an aura ring on. I, I track data. We can geek out on numbers and see like, oh, what did that glass of wine at dinner do to my sleep score uh, last night? Or did I do my cold plunge this morning to help establish my growth hormone and uh, stimulate my metabolism? You know, these are fun things. So we're, we've kind of maybe gamified the concept to, to make those non-sexy components of foundations of health, maybe a little more sexy. So you're saying that evening pill I see at the, on the nightly news, isn't going to biohack me. That is not that I wish that there was a magic purple pill to make Dang all it. of your ills go away. However, so when it comes to the biohacking of, of, of a sort, we'll call it, and individuals are coming to your facilities to, to gain more knowledge about how they can have more longevity, more health, more, more flexibility, whatever it may be, where do you start in analyzing your patients? Yeah, so one of the, this is the culmination of 23 years of my practice right here in Park City. We put the flag in the earth saying we have the flagship bioenergetic center. So the first tenet of longevity, don't die. So we start with there, right? That's really good advice. Uh, but then, so what is what does that mean? Well, we have to assess then for the top three killers, cardiovascular disease. We do a thorough workup with VO2 max. That's the, you're riding a bike and you've got oxygen on and you're seeing what your heart does under stress. That's the best predictor of longevity. You can pick up heart disease 10 to 15 years prior. We do a functional medicine panel array looking at 
your neurocognitive abilities. So neurodegenerative disease is that second pillar. And then we do a lot of cancer screening. So we're utilizing the best of Western medicine and the best of Eastern medicine and putting kind of cutting edge therapeutics through this ancient lens to really help people get achieve their health goals, live a longer, more robust, more thriving life. So help me understand in the sense of, I, I love this kind of stuff when you get on these bikes and you have these oxygen machines and you get all this data, like that's that's right up my alley as far as things that excite me. But so is this, Kate, obviously it's catered to each individual, but is this an assessment you do when someone comes into your practice for the first time? Or is this catered based on, I want to learn more about my cardiovascular, let's do this test? Yeah, so we, I call it fractal medicine. We will go in at whatever level the the individual coming to us needs. So if your thing is not longevity and you've got heart history, you know, family heart history that concerns you, we're going to give you a workup there. If you've got worried about dementia, Alzheimer's, that's a massive worry for a lot of folks that we see. They've seen their parents or grandparents go through that, and we see the rates of neurodegeneration on the rise. Well, we have an EEG. We look under the hood. We do plasmalogen testing. I didn't even learn what plasmalogens were in medical school, uh, but they're linked to all neurodegenerative diseases. Uh, we do a thorough blood work panel, probably the most thorough blood work that you've that you've seen. If you like your numbers, we've got numbers for you. We do stool analysis. We do heavy metal screening on urine. We look at your diurnal variation of cortisol, stress hormone throughout the day. Wow, that is a mouthful. Okay, so kind of expanding on the questions David's been asking about what happens when you come in, I know that with neurodegenerative diseases, there's the counter to that, which is regenerative medicine, and that's getting a lot of buzz. There's a lot of buzz around that. And so that is definitely something that you focus on. You talk about in your practice helping people with things like Alzheimer's and Parkinson's. Um, can you tell us a little bit about, you know, say I've been diagnosed with Parkinson's and I come in, what are you going to do and what what little devices are you going to hook me up to? For sure. Well, this one is near and dear to my heart. Um, I have a book out uh, called Shake It Off, an integrative approach to Parkinson's solutions. And through my own life journey, um, really got ripped open as a human being and reinstated my faith in unity consciousness on the planet. Uh, my wife, Soraya, passed at age 43 of a different condition called Kurtzfeld-Jacob disease. Well, that you might be saying is not Parkinson's doc. Can you get to the question? Um, but that led me into, it's a prion disease. It's a misfolded protein. And in the prionic textbook are uh, a listing of other neurodegenerative conditions that really no one's talking about prions. And so I wrote a book about it and I codified my process in brain regeneration. Uh, so we start with testing. Everybody wants to know what can I do, what can I take? Uh, but ultimately, there are different causes. There are traumas in life that can cause proteins to misfold. The protein in Parkinson's is called alpha-synuclein. So we look at um, traumatic events in a person's life, not only in their life, but we look in their ancestral lineage. So as a part of that therapies, we have ketamine therapies here at the center to help people heal depression, anxiety, post-traumatic stress disorder, if that's a part of the puzzle. 
We do blood work. We I mentioned those plasmalogens. That's a massive uh, finding in the last decade, really, of research linking low plasmalogens in the blood to all neurodegenerative stages. Uh, we look at gut health. You know, there is a hypothesis for Parkinson's and some of these neurodegenerative conditions that they start one to two decades prior in the gut traveling on the vagus nerve. So we do a microbiome assay. We removed all of the gut bugs out of your uh, microbiome. We'd have about four to seven pounds of material. That's a little bit gross if you think about it, but it's very essential for our health, the gut health. So the gut is the second brain. Maybe you've heard that. Uh, and then we also look at metals. I discovered early on in my practice, probably 20, 20 years ago, um, that heavy metals can be a burden that slow down natural therapeutics like IV glutathione and some other substances that we use. So we do that full assay workup. We do a voice scan as well, utilizing your voice as a hologram for your biofield or the bioenergetics of the body to get another look. Uh, it can really be enlightening to see uh, what comes off of that voice scan as well and how we utilize the energetics to basically charge the body battery up. We're speaking with Dr. Greg Eckel. He's the founder of Energy for Life Centers. There's a center right here in Park City, Prospector, behind El Chubasco in the POC building is how I describe it. And I, I think that's pretty accurate. I know that you, you know, you did your education in Portland. You had one of your centers in Portland and here. And I'm just curious about going to that heavy metal conversation considering we know that there are heavy metals laden throughout the soils in Park City from our silver mining past. And I'm curious about what you found with people who have lived here for 30, 40 years, like both David and I have, versus what you found with heavy metals in the body in, in with your clients in Portland. You know, unfortunately, um, metals are ubiquitous in the uh, 48 states here, the lower 48. And they are, you know, we do, the, it's called the NHANES data, and we are all blanketed in them. Yes, there is a, a little bit of a higher concentration. I definitely would encourage everyone up here to be filtering uh, water. Do not drink it right out of the taps. It's got to be filtered. Uh, because of that mining history, there is a higher level and burden of, uh, of metals. You know, interestingly enough, I, I do see some folks that shoot down at the range, and those folks that are out... Um, you know, uh, shooting guns have a higher lead burden. And of anybody in the local community, uh, I really encourage anybody that's out, uh, you know, on the range shooting, uh, you should definitely get your medals checked. Um, and if you if you do have concerns, you know, even low levels of lead, there is synergy and um, components of the metals that once they get into the pipes that then get delivered to your house, they start pulling other metals out of the pipes. So it is something that is part of my annual workup for everybody that comes into the center. So I'm not seeing a higher concentration in Park City locals or natives uh, versus uh, other folks that have come through. And unfortunately, it's because metals are everywhere. Dr. Greg, we just did an interview with Bodie Miller and some other people about 
depression and substance abuse in local ski towns and just the the environment and a lot of people are they're depressed due to the fact of the wealth gap and the fact that they're partying like tourists even though they're locals and so i see that you guys treat depression and substance abuse and so how does this correlate into the whole treatment center and what you guys are doing when someone comes in rather than a cardiovascular or a Parkinson's per se, what if I came in and said, I'm just, I'm depressed and I'm struggling with alcohol or whatever, how would you guys handle a patient like that? Yeah, that's a great question. So we have a really unique technology up here and it actually comes from uh, the addictions world. There's an addiction center down in Texas that developed an overlay to uh, TMS, transcranial magnetic stimulation. So we do a full EEG and you can pick up these brain imbalances on the electrical currents of uh, of the brain. And it's actually very common for skiers uh, and folks that have had head traumas to have some inflammation on their brain. Oftentimes those addictions or behaviors are self-medicating towards to feeling better. Alcohol is one of those big ones that will do it. And so we do brain frequency training. Um, we actually will, I call it the uh, hammer of Thor. There's a big magnetic arm that comes over the head and we individualize treatments for folks in addition to, um, so it's a, kind of a training, like going to the gym, we're reminding the innate intelligence of the body and the electrical activity of the brain to come back into a, a coherent state and cravings go way down with that therapy. In addition, we do acupuncture and Chinese medicine. You know, I grew up uh, in my clinical skills in Portland, Oregon, where we worked in addiction centers there. And there's five needle protocols with acupuncture and uh, programs with Chinese botanicals to help fill the receptor sites in the brain and those craving sites. And then additionally, we have um, ketamine therapy to help kind of backfill neuronal connections. So there's a lot of neuroscience behind what we've what we've put together and programming for folks. And ultimately, there's there's a big component with meeting somebody where they're at, designing that program to get them that that benefit and actually lasting transformation. So. I really want to focus more on the on the goal and the outcome and less so much on the different roads that we take there. Um, it's about empowering people to get their power back and understand the and employ the power of their minds in their own therapies. So that and that's a really fun, rewarding part of what we do here. I bet. I mean, it seems like you guys have a lot of great things to offer. So when a client comes in, it almost seems, you know, for lack of a better word, you have like a menu per se that people can almost select and I, I assume there's a consultation of some sort and you say, what are you struggling with? Okay, I'm, you're struggling with depression. We're gonna, we're gonna explore the ketamine route or the acupuncture, whatever it may be. And so is there a, a, an approach where you have just a consultation with the client first and then you decide which direction everybody wants to go? Yeah, always, you know, because we have so many, we have 6,000 square feet of cutting edge therapeutics here in the community. And 
it, it's, it gets a little overwhelming, even for my providers. So if we start with a consult, we meet you where you're at, we see if we can even help you. That's the starting spot. Like if you are a good candidate, not everybody qualifies for care with us. Um, we want to take people that are ready to make change in their lives. And, and so that's the, the unique uh, positioning of what we do here is we're, we're catalysts for change. We're transformation agents. And we have a lot of confidence because we've got a lot of, um, you know, real world experience of seeing how, what the body's capable of doing and what that transformation looks like for people. Dr. Greg, I want to explore this a little bit. So we as consumers of medicine, of treatment, have a responsibility, right? And we, you know, we go to sort of traditional medicine doctors and we're being treated for our symptoms. And that's what those practitioners are there to do. And I'll give you the example. My husband has an autoimmune disease. And so he goes to the rheumatologist and you know, and is treated for his symptoms. That's the role of the rheumatologist is to treat the symptoms. Now, my husband has to take his own health in, as his own responsibility and explore other pathways of treatment for the cause, the root cause, and what to treat and how to treat himself in a way to then eliminate the need for treating the symptoms. But it's very subtle. It's very nuanced. A lot of time it seems kind of like faith healing because you may not be able to see what these things are doing readily. So I'm just wondering how you, you know, how you encourage and motivate patients like that who come in and say, I have this autoimmune disease. I'm so sick of this. Where do I go from here? Yeah, there, there's a couple different routes to approach that question is, um, you know, the first one is around the curiosity. Um, you know, I think that asking the questions, what is causing this is a really important question. We may never get that answer, but if it is just about suppression of symptoms, that I, I think we're all seeing the fractionation of our medical system. So meaning the treatment of symptoms, I just do not see it work. Now, if you have an acute life injury, yes, emergency medicine is going to save your life. Uh, if you have a chronic condition, I think the verdict is in that if you just go a Western approach, uh, while it may keep your head above water, it is doing nothing to enable your body to heal itself. So it is, you, you know, we have Chinese medicine that has been on the planet longer than most besides Ayurvedic medicine out of India than any other system on the planet. These medical systems do not stay around if they are not effective. So while um, there may be some subtleties, like, yeah, you might, you know, if your husband, let's take the autoimmune condition, if they have a flare, you would want to take prednisone to suppress the symptoms because sometimes the symptoms are worse than the diseased condition. Uh, but there is a nuance in my language. I call my center a center on purpose. I used to have a clinic, which by, by the very nature in the word, it pathologicalizes the person coming in. 
by by naming this place a healing center, it's a recharging and wellness center. Um, it is it's a different approach to health in that it's encouraging and informing the innate intelligence to heal itself. And by removing obstacles to cure, uh, we're able to actually kind of peel the onion, not that people make us cry, but we get down to that root uh, cause and address at that level. And it's, you know, it's, it is nuanced. Um, then the final piece of this is the, the root word of doctor is docere or teacher. You know, I was a, a preschool teacher before getting into medicine and watching children in the early 90s being put on Ritalin, like four-year-olds, and seeing them slumped over in their chair, the little glimmer of light out of their eyes. And I just thought there's got to be a better way to help people. And that's what led me into natural healing, naturopathic and Chinese medical school. So there is these other more holistic approaches that I have we have stage four cancers disappearing. We have Parkinson's disease reversing where they, people have no evidence of the disease. We've pulled people out of dementia and Alzheimer's. We have folks that have no antibodies on their blood work. Now, I'm not saying I'm curing anybody. Maybe there's just a bunch of spontaneous remissions is what they call them in the West. But I think that through time, we're seeing a pattern that I get more and more confident with what our bodies can do given the right information. Now, you have to filter it as a consumer. It's hard to know, especially when you have a disease process and you're not thinking clearly or you have pain or you have a, you know, aches, pains, fatigue, brain fog, all of those symptoms. So, it it you have to trust the people that you're employing on your team and you know i'm humbled that we have people flying in from around the world now into our center here in park city um for that new medicine and and that's what we're doing you know i call it we're kind of creating the buckminster fuller uh movement is you create the new system and the old one becomes irrelevant that's so great Dr. Greg Eckel, Energy for Life Centers here in Park City. It's energy, the number four, lifecenters.com. We'll post that link on our post. And Dr. Greg, thank you so much for joining us today on The Mountain Life. Thank you so much. All right, that was Dr. Greg Eckel at the Energy Center, Energy for Life Center located in Park City. We'll be right back after this to talk about therapy dogs and how their owners get their training along the Wasatch back, more specifically in Midway when we return from these messages. Welcome back to The Mountain Life. I'm Lynn Ware Peak. Our next guest, Amy Francis's profession involves those soft and furry companions that many of us couldn't live without dogs. She trains therapy dogs for a living. It's called Rocky Mountain Therapy Dogs, and their mission is to provide health, hope, and healing to the community wherever there's a need. Their vision is to expand and enhance therapy, education, and community outreach programs, all provided free of charge to the public. Amy Francis, welcome to The Mountain Life. Well, thanks for having me, Lynn. Where did you come up with this concept and how long have you been going? So back in 2019 is when it all really began. We had a lot of wonderful teams that I was working with as a dog trainer just for basic obedience and, you know, through advanced training. And uh, a lot of them had mentioned 
um, some interest with pursuing more work after they were done. There was nothing in the area specifically designed for therapy work that they could do to focus on their own neighborhoods in the Wasatch and Summit uh, counties. So I decided, why not? Let's just give this a go and, and see if it works out. So we officially launched our name, Rocky Mountain Therapy Dogs. And after a few months of training, uh, sent the teams out into the public to start working in schools to read with children and visit the nursing homes around us as well to visit uh, the residents there. It it just became so well loved so quickly that um, even the shutdown in 2020 only stopped us for a little bit. So it's been a really fun journey to just see what these teams are capable of and also um, the public allowing us to uh, just kind of continue experimenting with what we're able to do in private sessions and petting stations at events. Uh, we're just kind of uh, growing with each suggestion that we get. And is it a nonprofit? Because I noticed that you're a .org, rmtdogs.org is we your are. website. Yes, we are a 501c3, yeah. And so you decided to structure it that way, I'm assuming because you're doing this pretty altruistic service and you don't want to charge the recipients of the service of having a therapy dog come to them. We never want that to be an issue. So there is so much love for therapy dog programs that we have many generous donors who help uh, offset that cost. So anybody that contacts us and needs a little bit of help, uh, we never have to talk about a price. We can just say, when do you need us? We'll be there. Mm. I would imagine that after the pandemic, when things started opening up again, I mean, we know this from looking, you know, if if we've read anything at all, we know that isolation was one of the most harmful outcomes of the pandemic, probably far, far beyond our physical health. Um, and so do you, have you found a real increased need for therapy dogs? Oh, yes. That? Yes. And I think that the biggest surprise for us, because at first we were like, we're going to read with children. That's where there's a need. And very quickly, especially like you said, after the pandemic, uh, adults were reaching out to us. Um, and we deal now with a lot of adolescents in middle schools and high schools with depression and anxiety um, to help channel that energy into something healthy. So instead of reading with them, we will actually set up a agility course in the hallway at school and they'll have to work with the dogs through the agility course and problem solve. So we, we've we really found, uh, uh, like I said, the need grow has grown. Um, and also I think it's it's been bringing awareness to our programs. People go, oh, I, I could absolutely use that. Uh, you know, my, my grandma could absolutely use some visits. So we really are very open to helping absolutely anybody with what they need. If you're just joining us on The Mountain Life, I'm speaking with Amy Francis. She's the founder and owner of Rocky Mountain Therapy Dog, Dogs, <laughs> based, uh, based in Midway, but serving the whole Wasatch back. So you've been a dog trainer for about 10 years now, and obviously the the therapy dog training, well, not obviously, what is the difference between just regular dog training and therapy dog training? I think it's really good that you bring that up. There's even a lot of other people that confuse therapy dogs with service dogs, right? Mm -hmm. So generic 
dog training, right? We want to have a good companion in our home, basic obedience through advanced, well-mannered dogs who understand their boundaries in and outside the home. A therapy dog is a public servant. So these are dogs who are trained to be well-mannered and go out into the public and just assist them with therapeutic or educational needs. Um, like I mentioned with the breeding programs, we visit the nursing homes. Uh, we have petting stations for uh, exam stress weeks, right? Um, and then uh, a service dog is a dog specifically designed to provide a task for their owner. So it's only their owner. So that's the biggest difference. So as a therapy dog program, we have to still receive permission to go to places. We have to talk to the facility and they have to allow us to, to go in there. But a service dog can go almost anywhere. So that's the biggest difference when we get those phone calls. We want to make sure people understand exactly what we do. Well, to take that one step further, what kind of dog can go on an airplane, not in a kennel? <laughs> <laughs> that would be a service dog. That okay. would be a service dog. Yep, yep. It's uh, and a lot of people contact us too because they they want that. They want to travel with their companions, right? But unfortunately, that is something that we do not handle. <laughs> okay, that is a really <laughs> important clarification. I think it is. It is. <laughs> So when I imagine a therapy dog, I always conjure a vision of a golden retriever. Are there certain breeds of dogs that make better therapy dogs than others? And why is it that I conjure the golden retriever? Is that because mostly <laughs> the all-American dog, the yes. all-American dog, right? Uh, yeah, certainly there's 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 images we all have. Um, but in my experience, and especially since growing Rocky Mountain therapy dogs, absolutely any dog, any age can be a therapy dog. Our youngest dog was seven months old. Our oldest was 12 when they got certified. We have, um, uh, we have retrievers, obviously, in our program. We have pit bulls in our program. And in fact, our pit bulls are our sponsors for our anti-bullying campaign. Part of Rocky Mountain Therapy Dogs, is, uh, our mission is to also educate the public on dog body language. And we also go to schools and work with children on anti-bullying. So our, our bully breeds are kind of the ambassadors for that. Wow, that's incredible. So <laughs> a bully breed. Okay, help me understand what that really means. I mean, we we all think of pit bulls as, I mean, we know that they can be trained to fight and many people are kind of scared of pit bulls and, oh, yes. and yet you hear that they are the most wonderful, gentle, loving dogs if it, they've been trained right. So help me out with that distinction as well. I mean, can't doesn't a dog at some point always refer back to its instinct? You know, instincts could even come, um, even speaking from a human standpoint, fight or flight is instinct. So that's that's really across the board with all species. So they're, they're, back in the 60s, in fact, the pit bull was one of the best family dogs. Um, but during that time, a lot has changed. There's a certain look to them right? That's very intimidating. And I think that there have been a lot of people who have taken advantage of that and absolutely have programmed and trained them to do things that um, are absolutely horrific to even think about. So we are trying to go back to the roots of these beautiful breeds, all of them, all of the bully breeds that there's, you know, horrible stereotypes with and show exactly how amazing and incredible they can be when you foster love and compassion uh, with them. And it just shows what they're capable of. So we have um, a range of pit bulls. Pit bulls is really, it's just a mutt, 
a certain look is what they are. And so we have a, quite a bit of a range. Um, so we can show people that they don't have to be afraid. Um, every dog is capable of, of protecting themselves, right? Mm -hmm. Every human can go to that level to protect themselves. So getting rid of that stereotype and understanding what love can really do to, to all species is very, very important. So presumably you're taking that dog in to a school situation to teach the kids that bullies just need love. That, or that's yeah. part of what they need. It's part of it, right? Right. And, and understanding too, you know, I think kind of simultaneously in that message, we're also talking about to not bully children based off of how they look, right? One of our bully breeds, in fact, uh, has a handicap. So Willy Wonka Tonka has to drag his feet around once in a while. It's just the way he was born. So we, we also talk about not judging a book by its cover. And there's a lot of different important messages that our dogs portray just by walking into the room that we're able to use them as an example to hopefully help the children translate that into their real lives. Wow. I, wondering how it works in terms of, you know, say I have a dog and I have identified this dog as just, you know, you never know when, what you get, right? Especially if, if you, uh, well, any dog, you don't know what you're going to get, but say this dog's three or four years old and you go, wow, this dog is the kindest, most loving, most wonderful dog. I want to turn him into a therapy dog. I'm going to contact you and then what happens? Yeah, so we offer quarterly testing days. This is when you're going to come in and bring your dog and take and go through our 12 point test. You and your dog have to pass it with perfection, without treats. Uh, we have to see what your dog is capable of being around a lot of highly distracting environments. It could be people, noises, um, uh, medical equipment, right? We have to just see what they're capable of. If they're comfortable, that's the most important thing too, making sure your dog likes what they do, that they would enjoy this line of work. If you pass that test, uh, you will then be a part of the Rocky Mountain Therapy Dog family. You will be insured. And then you and I will have a discussion about where we think you're going to be most successful working at. Some of our dogs are um, active therapy dogs. So these dogs don't necessarily love to lay down for an hour and read. They want to play fetch with their visitors. They want to do the agility course, go for walks. Um, and then we have our therapeutic teams that actually sit down and lay for long periods of time. And mm -hmm. a lot of our dogs love it. It's their nap hour. So they'll just lay down maybe on their visitor's lap, fall asleep to a story. So that's what we start to determine is where you're going to be most successful at and what your dog's going to enjoy. So we've talked a lot about going into schools. Um, let's talk more about some of the other places we might not think of therapy dogs as going and, and helping out. Yes. So it could even be in your own home. We, one of my favorite stories, it started back in 2020. Um, there was a boy who was, is blind and he was terrified of dogs. His family wanted desperately to get him a seeing eye dog. Um, but obviously with the fear that was going to be <laughs> an issue. So his pediatrician actually reached out to us and, um, we started outside at a park during that time um, to just kind of be near him. Uh, even the noise of a collar, right? The jingle of a collar would make him panic. So every week this team would meet and help desensitize him around um, this dog. We are now three years after that. And uh, we still visit this child weekly. He now goes to school and um, he walks the halls with our dog. He pets him, loves on him, and currently has, is getting a seeing eye dog trained for him. 
him. So right there was such a great example of the fact of how for no and no charge to the family, we were able to help him overcome this fear. Uh, and now his life is going to be changed once the seeing eye dog comes into his life. So we are just so grateful to be a part of that journey with him. That is a wonderful story with a really happy ending. I yes, love we love those. We love those. <laughs> I've, I've often wondered about, you know, I've had dogs my whole life. I know that they are just dirty creatures. They can't help it. They shed, they bring in the outside into your home. I've always wondered about hospitals and how you how you navigate that need for being very how do you ensure that it will still be a very clean setting, even though you're bringing a therapeutic or a therapy dog in? So I can't speak on behalf of the hospitals. Uh, we, there's awesome programs out there who specifically focus on the hospitals. We do not, um, but we do obviously go into public areas where there could be children or adults with allergies. Mm -hmm. So the first thing we do is we ask ahead of time you know, hey, uh, do you need us to watch out for certain individuals? Um, even hypoallergenic dogs, people with very sensitive allergies can be affected by those. So we'll ask, you know, we have some of our hypoallergenic dogs, um, you know, does this individual do fine around that? Or do we need to stay clear of them? Um, so we're very, very uh, sensitive to that, being aware of those needs. Um, but then also when our teams become certified and they sign that, you know, agreement with us, part of it is cleanliness. So we always have wipes around. If our dogs are shedding, we brush them ahead of time, blow them out. We just make sure that we come into the program and don't leave anything behind, um, pack in, pack out kind of situations. So, uh, yeah, as far as the hospitals though, I'm sure there are many more regulations when it comes to that. But that being said, there are dogs all over our hospitals in the Wasatch back helping people out. So, uh, it's obviously that's a priority first and, and just to get the dogs in there. I'm speaking with Amy Francis. She's the founder and owner of Rocky Mountain Therapy Dogs. And the website is rmtdogs.org if you'd like to learn more. Amy, I'm wondering about how many dogs you all own and keep, or is it that you help certify dogs that are owned by other people and then you just call on them when you need? the latter. That is exactly it. So these are dogs who already have a home, already have a family. Uh, we just help if they need to, we help them get trained. We have trainers in our program. And then most importantly, we help them get certified. Um, and then I essentially am the triage center. So when there's a need, I know my teams, I know my families very, very well. I'll call on them. I'll be like, oh, you know, this would be a great one for, for Finn. This would be a great one for, for Griff. Um, and then I would see if they're interested in that. I keep in very close contact with my teams, checking in frequently. They also get a newsletter every single month saying, hey guys, here's a new opportunity. Who wants to be a part of this um, event? We have a lot of fun events, especially during the summer for petting stations, um, outside of just our regular weekly meetings at nursing homes and schools to make it really fun and interesting for the teams as well. As you've been talking, I think about my parents who are in their 80s and their beloved dog died a couple years ago and they've gone throughout their lives from one dog to the next dog to the next to the next. And they finally said, you know, we're getting too old to want to train a dog and to keep a dog. And all of my siblings and I are saying, no, no, no you need to get a dog. You need to get a dog. And they haven't. And 
I think of this sort of thing being really good for, you know, for elderly people who still love dogs and need dogs to be around, but really don't have that will or ability to go through training a dog. You know, it takes it takes a while. It it really is. You can essentially, this is for any age, you can be the quote unquote grandparent of these dogs. So you call them in when you want to see them and then you send them away when you're all done, right? So you don't have to go through the training and go through all of that. One of my favorite programs to visit is our is our nursing homes um, because I see not only the dog just be the icebreaker and just bring everybody to them. You know, you'll see a lot of the residents just come and say hi to the dog with all of a sudden then the handlers stay for such a long period of time, just talking with them, hearing about their life story. It's just, it is such a fun experience. So in, in that case of that example that you mentioned, yeah, it's very, very common to get to that point where you say, do I want to do this again? Um, but that's where we come in. If if you want some love and visits, we are just so happy to help with that. I work with animal lovers, and that's a bonus. But the fact that I work with animal lovers who love people, I mean, you can't get any better than that. These people who volunteer with Rocky Mountain Therapy Dogs are <laughs> the best of the best. I feel so, so lucky with what I do. And so the handler is always the handler slash owner is always present or is your team at Rocky Mountain Therapy Dogs, can they also be a handler just taking dogs to different places? We do. We So we have uh, four trainers total who work with my program. Uh, we come and assist for any new teams. If they have any questions or concerns, we're always there the first you know time or two to make sure that they adjust nicely to their new role. But we do, for example, have a team. It's a trainer and volunteer who are also friends. So if the um, owner of the dog, the volunteer is unable to make it to an event, she allows the trainer to bring her dog. So we make sure that, you know, it's that's only obviously a case by case um, you know, situation, but that's a great example of how um, close our teams can become to the staff as well. So we just kind of help each other out because the more exposure our dogs get into the public, the more they're doing for all of our neighbors. Mm, that's nice. So going back to the question I had a bit ago regarding, you know, the person who's listening now who thinks that they have a dog that would be a good candidate to become a therapy dog, they have to come and do this test and there are 12 different points that they need to pass. Now, obviously a lot of people, I know people who raise therapy dogs from the time they're puppies, it's their intention. But many people I think wouldn't have that intention until they discover that they have this really wonderful, loving, compassionate, cuddly dog. So what do you do in that case do do we come, you know, would someone come to you and say, okay, what are my first steps that I do? Or do you have other advice for them? Yeah. So I'll give you an example of the most common situation. So somebody reaches out to me, Hey, I'm really interested in your program. How can I get involved? I'll then send them the test. I'll say, Hey, here's the test requirements. Do you feel today that you could take this test? Do you feel ready? And if not, you can either just prepare on your own. We don't require you go through us. Or if you need assistance, here's three other amazing trainers. I, I'm also a trainer, but right now I'm putting a lot more focus into growing the program. But I have three incredible trainers right now who are offering group classes to be able to help mold these dogs and becoming 
more prepared and ready for the test. Um, we, they also offer private lessons too. If there's just maybe one or two specific behaviors to work on, then we can help with that. The most common issue that we have, and I say issue very lightly because this is not horrible, but a lot of our dogs have a really hard time calming down when they meet somebody new. They get so excited. So our role is to teach them what's appropriate for interactions and, and when you're allowed to. Well, the first test item is that a stranger comes up to you and shakes your hand. Your dog can't react at all, right? So that's an example of just teaching your dog when it's time to be friendly and, and, and to engage and when it's time to relax a little bit. What are some of the other of the 12 points? So, uh, you know, we have obviously distractions. So how are they going to respond to a wheelchair rolling right by them? <clears throat> what if we have um, some people who are very loud talkers or if they if they can't use their hands um, to pet them, you know, openly, maybe some, some people have a more difficulty doing that. They have to use their fists. There's different pressure on the dogs. They may not be used to it. So we see how they handle different pressure points. Um, but the most difficult one for most of our dogs is going to be dog-to-dog -dog interactions because our dogs, though they're very friendly um, and they love other dogs, they are not allowed to engage with other dogs during working time because that would take them away from the task at hand. So when we have our other neutral dogs walk by them during the test, they've never met them before. So a lot of dogs are very interested and they have to completely ignore them and focus on the handler. So that's a big, big deal um, to be able to, to pass number eight. Number eight is the one people are usually most nervous about when they're going through the test. How on earth do you teach that? <laughs> Time, repetition, <laughs> and time. <laughs> wow, it's hard enough to teach your dog the basics, let alone these things that are really, I mean, the, the dogs must all be so smart, the ones that become therapy dogs? Or is it just that they're really well-trained? They're really well-trained. Of course, you're going to get some naturals that just come in there and they can look at a dog and be happy, but ignore them. Um, but in most cases, I have incredibly committed handlers who are willing to do whatever it takes to get these dogs to be able to get be ready for the test. And we utilize, strictly, we utilize positive reinforcement in our program. So these dogs... Uh, want to listen to their handlers. They don't have to, they want to. And that's what we try to mold because we want to have a positive experience from training all the way through, th through certifying. <laughs> well, what a wonderful program. Amy Francis, the founder and owner of Rocky Mountain Therapy Dogs. Thank you so much for joining me on The Mountain Life today, Amy. It's a wonderful program. And aside from going to your website, is there... I, I know that you show up at different events. You showed up at KPCW Radio on the Live PC, Give PC Day, which is wonderful. Uh, where else do you show up? Wherever we're needed. So we do a lot of farmers markets. We do a lot of school events. Um, we really, wherever there is any sort of fun community activity going on, we are happy to be a part of it. So all you have to do is ask. Let us know because it is it is very, very common that you're going to hear the word yes, and we can accommodate to your needs. So just reach out to us. That's great. Amy, thank you so much. Thanks for your time, Lynn. Thanks for tuning into The Mountain Life, and thanks to our guests, Dr. Greg Eckel, Energy for Life Centers, and Amy Francis, founder of Rocky Mountain Therapy Dogs. You're listening to KPCW Park City at 91.7 and 88.1 FM in Summit County.